So, Father, we thank you that your word is alive and that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and you will cut through bone and marrow and it is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And That's both scary and wonderful at the same time, Lord. And so we thank you for the, the ability, the uh, opportunity to look at your word again. We thank you for today. We thank you for conversations that we've had and fellowship. We we praise you, Lord, because you have joined us together in this wonderful body of Christ, this family of believers. And Lord, we, we just thank you so much that uh, we can have fellowship with one another, fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and fellowship with you, our Father. And now, Father, we want to go on further with you and know you more so that we can love you better. And only you can do that, Lord. And so we pray for that now and this afternoon, that you would take us on. Take us further, Father. Don't leave us where we are because we don't want to stay here. And I thank you, Lord, that you will take us on, take us further, for that's your desire for us in Christ Jesus. And I praise you, Lord, and love you in his name. Amen. Okay, I want to just take a couple of minutes at the beginning to think about three different types of people, imaginary people. And I want you to think about which type of person most you, you most closely resemble. The first one is... Um, we, I've called, I was going to put a name to it, but I was afraid I might pick someone's name. So it's person one. Person one. You always felt like a failure. You never did well at school. Boys or girls, whichever way, stayed away from you in droves. You have the feeling that no one really likes you. You thought that becoming a Christian was the answer, but now you've failed so many times to be a good Christian that you're close to despair. That's person one. Person two, you've never failed. You always got top grades at school. You were popular. You graduated second or first in the class. And now you're moving up the corporate ladder in your job. As a new Christian, you're determined not to fail in your faith. As you've been, it's the same as you've never failed in anything else. In fact, you won't even admit the possibility of failure. And person three, you're just an average person. Win a few, lose a few. Of course, you've now got a really important goal to live close to God. And that's what's bothering you a bit. You're so average. How can you be special enough to get close to God. So which one of those are you most like? <laughs> you can be a mixture, Juliet. That doesn't surprise me that you're a mixture. <laughs> really, you know, it's, it's, there's no prizes. <laughs> this is just, which one of these people do you most closely resemble? A bit of everything. A bit of everything. Are you somebody who's really been popular their whole life, never really had a problem with too much? You know, have you succeeded in most things you put your mind to? Are you someone who's been the opposite of that? Your life's littered with failed attempts at things. Or are you just somewhere in the middle? Joe Average, you know, you're an average person with average thoughts and average feelings and you just think, well, I don't know. How am I ever going to be good enough? How am I ever going to get close enough? How am I ever going to be passionate enough for God? And 
think about that. You don't have to answer it or say anything, but think about how John's teaching in 1 John actually answers your thinking. So think about what we've just done before the break. How does John's teaching answer the person who says, um, I, I just, I've failed so many times to be a good Christian? That's what you've got to answer. What is the answer for the person who says, I've just failed so many times. I can't get it right. By the way, that's not John's phone ringing. That's the alarm for Brenda's medicine. He can't turn it off. Hmm? No, Brenda, don't be sorry. You need to have that alarm, otherwise John will forget. Yes. So, um, so you, you, what about the first one then? You've, you, you've always felt like a failure. You didn't do very well at school. You never thought you were particularly popular. For the women here, boys avoided you like, a, like the plague. For the men, you know, you never found the right line with the girl and you couldn't, you know, you always struggled to get a date and... How does John's answer about fellowship with the sovereign most high God, how does that answer your feelings of inadequacy about yourself? Because of course it's a spectrum. Most people will fit somewhere in a mix of all this. But, but how would it answer? Supposing you're ministering to someone, supposing that you've got a friend who thinks that they're always failing, what are you going to say to them? Because the reality is they are always failing and they weren't very popular. That's true. So what's the answer from God? Yeah, I'm talking about from John, from John's letter. How will you answer from John's? Because John's letter is specifically speaking about how we have fellowship with God. And this is not just another person. This is close, intimate, relational communion with a living, sovereign, majestic God. How can you, someone who's always failed at everything, or most everything, how will you be able to maintain your fellowship with this God? Well, everyone who believes in Jesus will be... Um, Holy and blameless in his sight. Yes, that's true. So how will you, but how will you answer the fact that you're always failing? How are you going to live a successful Christian life? How are you going to have fellowship one with another? How are you going to walk into a room full of Christians and be able to talk to people? Greater is he that is in me. Than, that's in First John, but not for the first chapter. But no, that's good. Thank you. And Rosemary? So, if he, what's that got to do with me? That's right. It's right, Rosemary. I just wanted to tease it out of you a bit more. Yes, it's your faith. Your Christian walk doesn't depend on you. Your being in fellowship with God doesn't depend on you. It depends on God. The fact that you've failed every day of your life up to the time you came to Christ, that's meaningless. He has promised to faithfully take you home. He has promised 
that those who uh, who choose to walk with God, to, to put their trust in the Lord, to meditate on his word day and night, you will find your roots go down into streams of living water and you will, your leaf will not fail and your fruit will be in season. John says, if you confess with your mouth, uh, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and, and forgiving and he will purify you from all unrighteousness. He says, fellowship with God is not dependent on the strength of your faith. It's not dependent on the strength of your walk. It's not dependent on how many times you fall and how many times you fail. It is not dependent on any of those things. Fellowship with God is dependent on your, to, only on your trust in who he is. Maintaining fellowship with God is simply a case of you trusting him for everything for forgiveness, for redemption, for peace, for grace, for truth, for everything. It's a no-fail situation. And you can't believe it. Can you? Because humanly speaking, that doesn't exist. There is no human situation where you don't have something to do with it. But this is God. This is the majestic most high God who has called you through the gospel message into a relationship with his son and through that relationship into fellowship with him. He asks only that you walk in that fellowship. How will you do that? By trusting everything he says. Okay, you're number two. You've just been so successful at everything and you're never going to fail in this life. Christian life, wow, you're going to zoom straight to the top. You'll be having a ministry with 500,000 people watching you. You'll be doing great exploits for God. Wow, you're never going to fail. What's John's answer to you? (laughs) Yes, if you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you and you're a liar. Yeah. What's the truth about the Christian life? Who said that? It comes with trouble. Yeah. What's the truth about your Christian life? You will fail every day. Your desire to be what you want to be will be more than you are able to do every day. You will always find that there is something that you look at in your day and think, I wish that had been different. I wish I'd done that a bit better. What's God's answer to you? Yeah, but that actually that is true, but that's not his answer. What's his answer to you? Christ. <laughs> that's a good answer, Kate, but that's not the answer right now. God's answer to you is Christ never failed. And you are in him. He never failed. He kept every righteous deed that God asked him to do. He lived a perfect life. He lived the life you cannot live. And he died the death to pay for the fact that you couldn't live it. And now he offers it to you. Galatians 2 verse 20, you know this verse. For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ lived the life you cannot live and he freely gives you that life. Freely gives you that life. And the only way you can tell the difference between a believer and a non-believer is that when you receive that gift, you are overwhelmed and filled with tears that a God, this God, would do that for you. You cannot receive that gift without a, a, an immense feeling of gratitude and just awe at the magnificence of this God who would do that for you. Now, when you understand that, What's that going to mean to you? What's, what are you going to take and from those things that I've just said? We haven't dealt with number three person yet, but what are you going to take from that? Yeah, you're going to be humble. Well, you are humbled, aren't you? You don't have to be humbled. You just are. You're just like, oh, flat on your face because I don't deserve this. Yeah. Yeah. But what's it going to draw from you? What will it draw from the centre of your being if you know that this God has lived your life, he's lived the perfect life, and he offers that life to you? Yeah, but how's that going to look? What's it going to look like in your life? Yeah? It's going to look like you deciding, I'm going to do whatever is in my power to love this God, to know this God. I'm going, to, I'm going to do whatever I can do to love him. If, he's, if he says, yeah, okay. just leave it here for now and then I'll use this yeah thank you so if can you turn it on is it on oh is it on can you hear me ah there you are okay so if he's if he if you know this God loves you like this that he's lived your life that he promises you success that you can never fail actually because he has gone before you and never failed what will it draw from you I'm reiterating a bit. So what will it draw from you? Bye, Liz. Liz is not walking out because she doesn't like it. She's just going early. <laughs> what will it draw from you? Hope and thankfulness and humility. Yeah. Yeah, trust. Believe. Peace. What else? Joy. What else? Praise. Wanting to run the race, yeah. Will it not bring a recognition of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? Will it not remind you of those blessings and help you to understand, actually, I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Because as I trust that Christ lives my life, I find myself full of joy, full of peace. Fear is gone. Trust grace, mercy. Doesn't it do that? And doesn't it make you decide that, yes, I'm going to fall and yes, I'm going to fail, but every time I do, I'm going to trust that God will pick me up 
and we will go on together. And doesn't it stop you looking at yourself? I know that's hard. But you're going to stop looking at yourself and start looking at Christ because he's the one who's living your life. He's the one who's not failing. He is the one who's offering you this life. So how, how much, what will it take to, to get you in that place and to keep you there? It's hard for me to stay still, so come on, answer. I said, what will it take? What will it take for you to get into that place and stay in that place? Commitment to read the word, definitely. Yes, it will take another way of looking at Jesus and another way of looking at yourself. What else? Prayer. prayer. It will take prayer. It will take massive, massive, constant prayer because you can't stay in that place for longer than five minutes. You need to pray. What does God want you to do? What's one of the things he wants you to do? draw near to him. How do we draw near to him? In prayer. So what do you think? As I said, this, this truth is on every page in the Bible. Every, every time you open the Bible, you'll find this there. God wants you closer. Every circumstance in your life, he will use to bring you closer. And he wants you to pray to know him better. And as you know him better, you will start to pray more because you will want to know him better even more. The whole thing is designed for you to come closer to God. Why does he want that? Because God wants fellowship with people like us. Because he loves people like us. Because he created us for fellowship, for relationship. Because for God, you enjoying him is worth everything. For God, you praising his name and enjoying him is the reason for your existence. All things were created, Revelation 4, verse 11. All things were created. All things exist for him and for his good pleasure. That, that's you. That's me. So you're an average person. Win a few, lose a few. How did that answer for you? What's the answer to you feeling pretty average? Never, never been really successful, never been really a failure. Just, you know, just plodding along. How does that answer that? Yeah, he does. Yes. Yes. So you thought you were very popular, or you thought you weren't popular at all, and or you thought you were somewhere in the middle. What did you say, Diana? Exactly. They do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, Diana, the answer is the same for every, every type of person. It's not you. It's all about him. And if you can remember that at the beginning of every day and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that this day is about you and not about me, you will start to be experiencing and receiving, actually seizing, laying hold of the blessings with which you've already been blessed. That's what the title of today was. And really, I know I'm saying the same thing over and over again. Because this is what God wants us to understand. 
there's no such thing as an average person in Christ Jesus. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a person who never fails in Christ Jesus. They don't exist. There's no such thing as a person who always fails in Christ Jesus. They don't exist. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus? Then you are a new creation. You are clothed in Jesus and he never fails, ever. Um, Roger and I were talking about hyper grace uh, in the break. This is not hyper grace. Hyper grace is a deception. The teaching that just because you're saved, you can do whatever you want to do. That's a lie. Because if you want to do the stuff you wanted to do before you were saved, you're not saved. You don't want to. You want to live like Christ. That's the problem. That's the difficulty. Because you're finding all the time that you're not able to. And you're just assessing yourself and judging yourself on your own human limitations instead of on who he is. So I suppose really um, the question for this session is, are you experiencing the blessings of God that are found in Christ Jesus? And I don't want you just to say, you know, you don't have to answer me or the person sitting next to you, but I want you to answer the question, are you experiencing the blessings of God in Christ Jesus? And those blessings are limitless. You know, are you laying hold of those so that they are actually active in your life? Or when you think about your life, do you think about it in the same terms that you've always thought about it? Go ahead, Kate. It's not how big it would appear in somebody else's life either, because it's when you realise it's a totally personal thing. It's not Showing you something or being something for you, it's it's become so important. Yeah. A small thing, if you recognise it's from God, can be absolutely magnificent. Yes. Yes. Because there's no small things from God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I want I want you to ask that question. Write it down. Am I experiencing the blessings? of God that are found in Christ Jesus because I want you at the end of the day when you go home to ask yourself why you're not if you're not and I want you to ask yourself what blessings you're missing out on are you struggling with peace or with joy or with forgiveness or whatever what is the what what is it that you're struggling with what is the area in your life that you feel that you're not experiencing that blessing <clears throat> Thank you, the Lord, that you speak using me to speak to others. Everything else melts into mm. significance. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's because that's how the Lord has gifted you, Alan. So I, I would think if I said to somebody, well, the Lord will use you to speak to other people all the time about the Lord Jesus, there'll be some people here who'd run into, into the corner and never come out because they don't have that. They, that's not the way God uses them. But you have it, and that's why it fills you with joy to do. And everything else pales into insignificance when you do that. Mm. Um, we're going to look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 5.
um, the first 12 verses. Um, and we're going to look at what Jesus, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, or part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're just going to look at the first 12 verses because they deal with the Beatitudes, the blessings. So chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's hard for us actually to get the the real impact of this message that Jesus was speaking because... um, we're aware already of the truth of Christ and what he would do and and what that would mean. Um, But when they were listening to this, they were listening to Jesus telling them about the kingdom of God. It was radical truth. It was radical for them. And I'm sure they could not understand it. The word blessed here means the uh, can mean two things. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, blessed mean God speaking, blessed means God speaking something into existence. But here in, this, in Matthew 5, it means your response to something God has done. So here it has a slightly different meaning. It's a slightly different Greek word. It doesn't mean what God speaks into existence. It means how you respond to what God has done or said. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the response of people who trust God in whatever circumstance. And actually, when you look at it, you can see that the sermon he's going to preach isn't just to his disciples. At the end of chapter 4, it says, um, The news spread about him throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto the mountain and he sat down. So... um, The sermon begins with the disciples sitting around him, but the crowds following him. So this message isn't just for the 12 or the more who followed Jesus. This is for anyone who hears it. And and so that changes, actually, how we think about this message, because this isn't just a statement of truth about people who are in the kingdom of God. This is an invitation for people to come into the kingdom of God. And you would think, wouldn't you, that if you were making an invitation to come to Jesus and to come into the kingdom of God, you wouldn't include, blessed are you who are persecuted. (laughs) Blessed are those who mourn. You wouldn't be including those things. You would want to make it palatable and attractive to the people listening. But Jesus never did that. 
He never did that. He spoke the full truth all the time that he was speaking. So what does that mean for us who now we want to go on with the Lord? We want to believe that we are blessed. We want to live in the experience of that. What does that mean as we start talking about the Lord Jesus out there in the world that we live in? We are called to tell the truth. Why? Because it's not going to be a rose garden. Yes. Lots of people think that when they become a Christian, I think people give the impression when you become a Christian, everything's going to be wonderful. Yes, 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 that's true. But get, just go underneath that a little bit. Why is it important to speak truth? Because God's word is truth. Because God's word is truth and the truth makes free. The truth makes free. There is something about the truth that is undeniable, and people hear it. They hear it. And if you tell them a whole load of stuff that, that is not true, they see through it. They see through it. And if you tell them that God will make, coming to Jesus will make your life wonderful, their next question will be, well, what about your life? That doesn't look very wonderful to me. What about this that's going on in your life? What about this sickness? What about this person losing their job? What about this? What about the tragedies we see all over the world? What about churches that are burned to the ground? What about Christians who are having their heads cut off? What about those things? If what you're saying that God will bring everybody into this wonderful state of utopia and every Christian will never have another problem, then what you're trying to bring them into, they will see as a complete lie. So... What have we got to go beyond then? We've got to know the truth and then what? We've got to live the truth. But, but yeah, yes, that's true. But in what way? Yes. You've got to live the truth, speak the truth with joy. You've got to know, you've got to have peace in your heart. You've got to love the person you're speaking to. You've got to, um, to, to, to actually receive these blessings for yourself and let them live themselves out through you. Now then, all of you should be saying, right, I'm going home because I can't do that. Can you? You can't do it. I mean, five minutes maybe over a quick cup of coffee, but after that, you're done. So what is it that God will do? What's his promise? He will do it through you. All he's asking from us is that we know truth and we determine to speak truth and then he will enable everything else in your life so that you can give a true witness to the Lord Jesus and, will, and he will use all the bad stuff in your life. Look what Alex has just talked about up here. The devastation of losing someone close to you, God will cause to work together for good and he will use it to minister to other people in that same circumstance. People who need to know that there is a God who knows and who cares and who will bring you through that valley. And the thing is, when you want to give people something that you think they want to hear, inevitably, it's what you wanted to hear. Because you don't know what they need to hear or what they want to hear. You just make it up. The only way to reach people in our day is to reach them with the truth. And I can tell you, people are screaming for the truth. 
They want to know truth. And it doesn't have to be gift-wrapped. It can just be as it is. So that being said, think about what, what these Israelites were watching, what they were actually seeing in front of them when Jesus sat on the mountain. Do you remember when Moses went up and sat on the mountain with God and God spoke to Moses? Jesus is speaking. God is speaking on another mountain and he's speaking to his people. And that's incredible. He's... Mm. Or done. Yeah. So that will be the state that you're in. Yes. When you have responded. It's. Uh, yeah. So if if you know that God has done something and you respond in the way that you trust that He has and you've received from Him, you are blessed. Your response is blessed if you respond in the way that acknowledges the truth of God. Yeah. Mm. Does it still sort of mean the word that we think it is by blessing? I think that means things are good for me. Yes, it definitely means that. Yeah. But it means that things are good in a way that perhaps doesn't look good. Right. It's just, all it's doing is covering both sides of the coin. So God speaks things into existence, but those things have to be received by us. And when we receive them, we receive the blessing of them. So it's the response of it. So, um, okay, so, so Jesus is talking, and he's talking about the person who is able to live like this. In order to live like this, what has to happen to you But first? In order to be the person who is blessed like this, what would have had to happen? Yeah, you would have had to come to faith in Jesus. Why? You need a new heart to live this way. You need a new heart. And that's what God promises to those who believe in him, a new heart. And that's what God promises, promised to the Israelites all the way back through their history. Promised it to Ezekiel, promised it to Jeremiah. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and I will put a new heart in them and a new spirit. And, and Jesus is following that up. And he's saying, this is how that will look when you have that new heart and that new spirit. This is how you'll respond. Why will, it, why will you be responding this way? Stay with me. I know you've had lunch and you're sleepy. So stay with me. Why would you be responding this way? If you get a new heart. Because David says, remember in Psalm 51, create in me a new heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. David is praying for the new heart and the new spirit that Jesus came to give us. So why will you be responding in a different way? Why will you be able to, to mourn and know you'll be comforted? Hey? Because it's his heart and his spirit. So can you see what I mean? Is there any difference? Have we said anything different so far today? It's all the same. Jesus will live his life through you because he will give you his heart and his spirit. So look at what he says. Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does he mean? Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
can help them. God alone can help them. Poor came to mean afflicted and weak in their society because technically there should have been no poor people financially in Israel because everybody was supposed to share. And if there were any poor financially or materially poor people, they were supposed to receive from other people. So technically, according to God's law, there should have been no poor people. So the word poor came to mean weak or afflicted or in trouble. And it meant a person who had nowhere to go but God. So that's what Jesus is saying. And in case you think he means poor monetarily or financially, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So um, when you took the invitation of Jesus to come into his kingdom, what did you actually effectively become? A citizen of of heaven or God's kingdom. The word, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven are interchangeable. So you became a, a citizen of heaven. So what's a citizen? What does citizenship give you? Hello. Um, yeah, you have a right to live there, right, right of abode, yeah? What else? What else? You have a home there, yeah. What else? You have an inheritance there. You can buy land there. You can own land there, yeah. No, just think about citizenship. Don't think about you. Hmm? You have an identity, yeah. Responsibilities, yeah. But if you live, if you belong to a kingdom or a or a citizen of a kingdom, um, uh, what does that mean when you're in that kingdom? No. No. All good, but no. You're not an alien. You're not an alien when you belong to the kingdom that you're living in. What are you on earth? You are an alien and a stranger. Why? Because you don't belong here. Your citizenship is not in heaven. Philippians chapter 1, I think it is, Paul says that, for our, oh no, chapter 4, for our citizenship is in heaven from whom we, where we long for a saviour from. So we have citizenship in heaven, which means we're aliens and strangers here, but we belong there. What does the word kingdom mean? ruled by the king so is it a place is it a place okay so what about now are we in the kingdom how are we in the kingdom if the kingdom's a place it's a spiritual place okay yeah i'm not saying it is i'm just saying so come on come on you've got to stay awake we're not having tea yet for about 10 minutes so what else now and future. The word kingdom actually means the realm where a king rules. So now think about that. The word kingdom here doesn't mean a place, doesn't mean a time, doesn't mean anything. It just means the place or the area, the, the realm where the king rules. Where does he rule? Where does he rule? Where does he extend his rule? In our hearts. So you are the kingdom of God. Not in entirety, hmm? is within. So you are your, the king rules in your life, right? By the Spirit, you have submitted and surrendered to the king. 
So what else does it mean? So it's the area or the realm where a king rules. So that's you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus. Where else is it? Or where is it not? It's not in the world. So what did Jesus teach the disciples to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God primarily at the moment is found within believers. That's where Christ rules and reigns. Where will it be ultimately? On earth. The kingdom of God will be on earth for a thousand years. And then where will it be? It will be in the new heavens and the new earth. So the kingdom of God is primarily now spiritually in, within us. We are the place that God rules and reigns. Why do you think he's ruling and reigning in you? What does he want you to portray or give out? Yes, and what would you, be, what would you need to be showing? Witnessing. Yeah, take that further. <laughs> no, no, it's not enough. His character, yeah, but t- take it further. Everything. He would want you to show that the king you have submitted to is the king who makes you happy. He's the king who brings you peace. He's the king who gives you grace. He's the king who forgives. He's the king who never fails. He is the king who never leaves you or forsakes you. That is the king who lives within you. Isn't that the same as receiving blessing? He wants us to witness to the reality of the life that he has given us. The Pharisees are not going to like this message that he gives them. Why? Because they, they live by the law. Yeah. Yeah. So why does that matter, though? Because what's, he's talking about um, a new way of living that's going to we're not actually going to see the physicalness of until he comes back. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yes, that's true. What did the Pharisees teach about righteousness? What do lawmakers and law keepers always teach about righteousness? It's external. It's always external. It's what you do and what you say. What's the truth about Christ's righteousness? It's internal and what he does. It's not what you do. It's why you do it. It's not what you say. It's why you say it and who, yeah, who you are. Did you say that, Diana, who you are? So the Pharisees didn't want this because they wanted a religion that was all about what you see. They didn't want a religion that would mean they had to be changed into the character of someone else, especially Jesus of Nazareth, because they were already plotting to kill him. So they didn't want anything to do with a religion that would change you on the inside. And that's what most people don't want in our world. They don't want anything to do with a God who will change them on the inside. They want everything to do with a religion that will make them look good in other people's eyes. 
Now take that, that truth and imagine trying to put that over into this world. Do you think you might hit a few brick walls? Of course. So what is the only way through that brick wall? Yeah, the power of God. Say that again, Anne. The word of God cuts through those, demolishes strongholds and, and, and all the walls that are built. But, but also, how does the word of God demolish those strongholds? How does, how, does he, how does God use his word to demolish those strongholds? Through you, Rosemary, through you. Through you, believing the word of God about yourself and believing that your witness makes a difference and will actually be the catalyst through which God will save the people around you. Do you believe that? Because that's where it is. That's where we are. In all of it, in every way, that's where we are. Will you believe this? Jesus came and he, he just totally revolutionised everything that they knew, actually everything that we know. And he, look at what he says. He says that um, you're going to find fulfilment in longing and not in pleasure. You're going to find fulfilment in hunger and not in satisfaction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's where the blessing is, in the hungering and the thirsting for righteousness. For you, they shall be, shall be future filled. Not in popularity, but in commitment to an unpopular cause. I think it definitely means that in part, okay, yeah, definitely. And not in competition and winning, but in helping others to find their peace. Who could credit this? Who could believe this? That you could find fulfillment in longing. Longing and not actually fully receiving but you could still find fulfilment in that, satisfaction in that. You can't. That is opposite every human value. We're satisfied humanly when we receive, when we get. And you tell me I've got to long for and hunger and thirst for righteousness and that that's going to satisfy me? No, thankfully, thankfully. So, blessed are those. No, 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 no. In my experience, the very little sometimes that I do is demonstrated by the experience of God coming back and, and showing his grace, which I think, I only just sort of nodded at you, God. And, and you're, you're immersing me with your love. But I know there are people who are going through very different experiences. Okay, so um, blessed are those who don't feel any self confidence. 
blessed are those who um, approach life humbly, knowing there's nothing they can bring and nothing they can do. Blessed are you when um, you surrender to the Lord because you truly believe that he will do for you and in you what you cannot do for yourself. Do you, I'm just going to finish this session. When you read these blessed statements, it's the same as God saying, walk with me, walk by the Spirit. It's the same. And so, and God calls that surrender. He calls it picking up your cross and walking with him. Dying to self. So I suppose I'm going to end with just this session. You'll be very happy to know. Um, do you want to experience the blessings of the king in whom you have placed your trust? And do you want to know the full and complete satisfaction of a life lived with him? Because that will be a life that leaves you thirsty and longing for more. Because that will be a life where you never make it. It will be a life when you don't pass the test. When you find yourself falling. When you could look at other people and think, why can't I live like them? Why am I still struggling with this or that? That will be the life. When you have to surrender every part of your life to a God that you cannot see, trusting that he will give it back a thousand times over. Do you want that blessing? If you answer yes to it, then... We'll pray later today, and but you really, you just need to pray for it because God promises that to us. It's a promise. He says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means it's done. It's simply for you and I to receive that, to seize it, and to understand that every part of our human thinking is upside down to God that the way we assess our lives is completely the reverse of the way God assesses us in every way. Father, thank you that... Um, I don't know, Lord, thank you. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that it's real. Thank you that you're real. Thank you that you are making us real, actually. We thought we were alive, but we were dead. We thought we were meaningful, but we had no meaning. We thought we were somebody, maybe, but we were nobody. And then you came and you made us somebody in Christ Jesus. And we thank you so much for it, Lord. And I ask you in this short break now, as we eat cake and drink tea and generally smile and talk to each other, oh God, that you would not let us forget this stuff and that you would just keep on reminding us in our conversations one with another that you would help us not to see according to the flesh, not to speak to people as if we are assessing them 
in, in what we see and how they are, but that we would be assessing people through you, Lord Jesus, and in you. And we would be encouraging one another to really lay hold of this blessing, Lord, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and that we would wrap that around us like a cloak.